Well, uh, good, good to have you all here. Uh, I, uh, oftentimes on this, um, this May in, installment of Ironworks, I like to kind of give you a challenge for the summer because we take the summer, kind of do a summer break because everybody's kind of busy. Uh, we'll pick it up again in September, but um, usually I like to leave a bit of a challenge uh, to, to sharpen us and to maybe something for the summer to think about and pray about. So I've got that for you. Um, and this is one of those teachings. When, when you're a pastor, one of the things I love about going verse by verse is the Bible has kind of a natural balance in the way when you teach it verse by verse. You know, you don't get just too much of one thing. Um, I think that might be one of the perhaps pitfalls of topical teaching is, you know, if I'm a topical teacher, I can teach on my favorite topics and just kind of camp out on that for the next 30 years. And, you know, and, and there's churches that do that. You know, they'll talk about uh, only singular topics. They won't, they won't cover difficult subjects, which is part of the pro- big problem today. When you go through the Bible, you cover whatever's there. Uh, difficult, easy, fun, beautiful, ugly. Uh, it's all there and it's all for our learning and our growth. And so I do appreciate that. But, um, but I've also, in doing that for so many years, I've realized the Bible kind of does sort of a pendulum swing. Um, you know, uh, it, let me give you an example. One minute, you know, we're, we're told about how God is love and compassion and merciful and good. Um, and would you guys agree that's all true? But if that's all you ever hear, if that's the only message you ever give, like Joel Osteen, for example, that's all he ever talks about. It was victory, good, positive, all that stuff. But that's maybe less than half of the Bible. Um, because the other side, as the pendulum swings, you also have God's wrath. And you have God's judgment and justice. You have, you know, stories all throughout the Bible of God's wrath being poured out upon Christ rejecting sinful people and, and even the future. Uh, what, what's gonna come down in the future? The Bible's really clear on that. There's, there's a lot of people in the world that just wanna say, la, 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 la. I'm not gonna listen to that part because that's not positive, Pastor Brad. <laughs> You're supposed to be positive. Um, like Jesus. Can I just say, if, and if you're mad that I'm making fun of that, the reason I'm making fun of that is because I think I should do worse than that. Those pastors should be fired. If that's all they're doing, and the, you know, it's so sad to see these pastors that aren't really speaking the truth. Now, sure, you gotta talk about the love and the, to me, the fun part is talking about God's mercy and compassion and kindness, um, but the necessary part is also to show hell and death, and judgment, and wrath. It's all part of the Bible. Read your Bibles. It's all there. You can't be all mushy-gushy all the time if you're gonna go verse by verse through the Bible. Um, And by the way, that's true with just about everything. I know fathers who try to raise their sons being their buddy. Um, That's a huge mistake fathers make all the time. Oh, you're my little buddy, and I don't wanna hurt your little feelings, buddy. And and they, they, they they don't call their sons out and tell it like it is and say, son, you know, if you do that, you will fail. Uh, you've got to change this and adjust that. You've got to be a man that God is shaping and not this world and, and be firm and strong with a strong hand. Like there's another side. If you're, a fa- you're the father, you're not his little buddy. Um, and, and that's the problem when we only get like little bits and pieces. Well, this is a pendulum swing today that I want to talk about that's maybe extreme and some might even say dangerously extreme. And it has to do with a topic we've covered on the other side of the, of the pendulum swing. 
And the topic I wanna talk about is anger. Um, and we've dealt with anger, bad anger, wrongful anger, angry men who are abusive. And we've, talk, we've done two ironworks, totally separate ones, on the topic of anger and how men have a problem with anger and, and we need to not do that. And we've, we've covered that and talked about that. Today I'm gonna swing the other way and talk about anger. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, a, give you guys a, a word to say, should we be angry? Should men be angry today? And the answer is absolutely yes. And you say, well, that's horrible. You can't say that. I just did and I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, I'm sort of kidding, but um, you know, um, you gotta remember what the Bible says. Before we turn to our text, I wanna show you a little scripture. Ephesians 4, 26. What does this mean? People, people struggle with this one. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So what Paul's instructing us here is, you know, he says, in your, in your anger, is what he's saying here, when you're angry, don't sin. So the other sermons I've given and the ironworks I've given about the wrong, misguided anger, abusive anger, anger that's out of control, sinful man, man anger, that's like, that's horrible. And we should fight against that with everything we have. And I'm sure I'm gonna get letters about how dangerous what I'm gonna be talking about today is and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I'm gonna let the word stand, you know, for itself. Here's what the Bible says, be ye angry, but don't sin. And also to not let the sun go down on your anger. It doesn't say don't be angry ever. It just says when you're angry, don't let the sun go down, which means you're not supposed to stay angry. Even if it's a righteous anger, you're not supposed to stay angry uh, for a very long time. And the commandment is not to avoid anger, if you notice this, um, or suppress anger, or even ignore it. Some guys try to ignore the anger that they feel. But I, I think one of the things we as Christian men today, we need to deal with anger properly uh, in a timely manner. And uh, in fact, this same verse, anybody ever use an amplified Bible? in their studies, uh, I, I, I've done that just for fun. Sometimes I'll grab an Amplified Bible, which basically, uh, you know, uh, overdefines all the words. And sometimes it's kind of cool, a helpful tool. Um, like here's an example of the same verse, uh, Ephesians 4, 26, Amplified Bible. When angry, do not sin, do not ever let your wrath, your exasperation, your fury or indignation last until the sun goes down. Um, the reason the Amplified tends to do this is whenever you see an um, um, extravagant list of words next to a word like wrath, it usually means that the Greek word for that is a very colorful word that kind of needs more than just the English translation word. So wrath is a word. It's funny how we don't really use the word wrath uh, as much anymore. Um, it's kind of an older word. But, um, you know, fury, indignation, exasperation, uh, it says, don't let that, the sun go down on that. Now, this is where we kind of get to perhaps one of the texts I guess I I'd like to use and, uh, and kind of remind us uh, of what Jesus did in John chapter two. Would you turn there with me? And you know, if, if people have a problem with me saying that there's a, there's a time and a place to be angry, well, it's, to me, it's a very easy argument because Jesus is seen being angry on several occasions uh, in the Bible. Um, now, we know that Jesus never sinned. Let's just establish that right now. 
Um, and he was tempted to be angry in a bad way, just like, because we he was tempted in all points like us, but he never sinned. So when we see Jesus being angry, he, he angry, he's the perfect example of what anger should look like in a man. Would you agree with that? Good, okay, I just wanna make sure we're all, you're like, I can't believe you're talking about this. Um, uh, but I am, uh, and we're going to. Uh, so, so here, it, it says in John chapter two, let's start in verse 13. It says, um, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said to him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? And Jesus said unto them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Notice here with me the, the, the thing that the disciples remember. Now, this is one of the moments uh, where you gotta give the disciples credit. Wouldn't you agree most of the time the disciples had no clue what was going on? They're just kind of like you know, bystanders watching everything. Jesus, wow, what's going on? I don't have any idea. It's like, Peter, can you tell us what's going on? Nope, okay, well, let's just keep watching. But, but this is one moment I have to say the disciples do something brilliant. They remember an Old Testament scripture. This is great. Now you gotta remember these were Jewish guys. They probably heard in synagogue someday when they were a kid about some word about the zeal of the house eating me up. What is that all about? Um, and that's when they, they quote in, in verse two, or pardon me, chapter two, verse 17, we read, it says, then the disciples remembered at it is writ, as it is written from, uh, of course, Psalm 69, nine. Um, they remembered as it is written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now this word zeal is uh, one of those words, it's an interesting word to look at uh, in the Greek text. Uh, the word is zelos, or where we would get kind of our general word zealous. Um, but the Greek word zelos has three main definitions. Um, and the first one is earnest concern, uh, deeply devoted. The second definition in the Greek dictionary is jealousy, envy, resentment. Uh, but the third definition is the one that I believe is the word being translated in this definition, the third uh, point, extremely, intensely fierce, raging. That's the idea here. When the disciples are remembering the psalmist who said the zeal or the intensity or fierceness, the rage. Uh, so what does it say? The zeal of uh, the rage or the intensity, the fierceness uh, of thine house hath eaten me up. What's, what's the, what are the disciples remembering? They're watching Jesus. I mean, this is a disruption in the temple. 
Man, the temple people would come in in somber tones with their little sheep and their money and they'd go in and the priest would inspect the lambs and, and if they were you know, spotless and without blemish, they could bring the lamb in. But this, the priests were rip-off artists by this time. The, the priests were, were just all in it for the money. Sound familiar? These priests would sit there and the people would bring their little lamb from wherever they were, you know, Nazareth. They journeyed a long way with their little lamb to sacrifice in Jerusalem and they'd bring it up and there the priest would go, eh, uh, there's a blemish behind its ear there, so that's not good. But we have a better model over here. For a, for a small fee, uh, exorbitant, ex- inflated prices of sheep, they would say, we can, we can sell you a perfect one. One of ours is perfect. Uh, okay, and so the, they'd, they'd change money because they were from different regions, and they would change these high exchange rates. It was a total ripoff scheme for people that were wanting to come and worship the Lord at the temple in Jerusalem. And so when, it's, when the disciples see Jesus furious, that's what it says here. Um, he, was, he, he, he makes a whip of small cords whoosh, and starts whipping at, at the people, the tables, the animals, driving the sheep and oxen out, turning, taking their money and just flipping. Can you imagine if somebody did that today? Oh, that happens every day at Walmart. But... Um, <laughs> Um, well, no, I mean, can you imagine, though, like in, in that setting, this, this holy set, setting of the temple, uh, taking the money and just, you know, it's amazing that nobody tried to stop him. Where was the, you know, temple security? Because they had such a thing in those days. Um, I find it interesting that Jesus, um, you know, maybe this was strictly supernatural and nobody messed with him because maybe he just put an invisible shield around him. I don't know, but I almost wonder if Jesus had a presence and a heftiness and a weightiness to his, his persona where nobody even dared mess with him. As he's flipping tables, nobody said, hey, step outside on the stutter step. You and me, we'll go out. You know, boy, that would have been a bad decision on some UFC dude. Hey, you and me, let's go around. She's like, okay, pff, brain's just a pink mist, you know. It's like, uh, try that for a chokehold. Uh, but Jesus, nobody messed with Jesus. I think there was a presence about him. He had an authority. Even the people acknowledged Jesus had an authority, not like the scribes, not like the Pharisees, in his words. I wonder if even in his deed, people said, yeah, just don't mess with him. But he goes in there and turns the tables and flips over the money containers. And, and, and this is something that I think uh, his anger was pure and completely justified. Um, and because it's root the root of his anger was for God's house and God's holiness and for people to come and worship without being ripped off. Jesus had a compassion for the people. He had a care for the house of the Lord and he didn't want the people being ripped off. He said, don't make, you've made this into a den of thieves. Um, it's supposed to be a house of worship. Um, because these were at stake, Jesus uh, took quick and decisive action. One thing I'd like to point out though, if you follow the gospel narratives in Mark uh, and John and Luke, all the different accounts of this, you realize Jesus was there the day before and they were doing the same thing the day before. And the reason I wanted to point that out is Jesus could have done it the day before when he first saw it. But one of the things that righteous anger often shows is self-control. Um, if your anger is just flying off at the handle and you haven't thought about it, prayed about it, haven't you know, checked it out first and made sure this was of the Lord, your, your anger is a godly, righteous anger. Um, if you're just flying off the handle, you're probably wrong right there. 
Jesus went in and saw it the first day, went back, stayed in Bethany that night with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and then came back into the temple the next day and then turned the tables. That just shows a, a bit of self-control that I think is really important when we talk about this. Now, um, Jesus showed this. Now, one of the things I wanna remind you, uh, always with Jesus, is when he shows anger, there's also a component of compassion. Um, if you could say in this situation, who was Jesus being compassionate for um, when he was being angry? Well, he was never being compassionate for himself. Whenever you see Jesus angry in the Bible, he's not angry because somebody wronged him. It was never a self-centered, like you've messed me up or you've wronged me, so I'm gonna be angry. Never. It was always for others and it had a component of compassion. And one of those components, for example, in this story, was there were people that wanted to come and worship the Lord at the temple and Jesus was, you might say in that godly sense, jealous for them. These guys were ripping off these poor people who were broke, coming with just barely enough money to survive a trip to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, and then they were taking advantage of those people, and Jesus had a compassion for them. So his, his anger always seems to have a component of care, concern, compassion. Uh, I love that. That should always be the case. A righteous anger often has that component of compassion built into it. Um, consider, remember if you were with us in our study through Matthew, which we just finished a few weeks ago, do you remember Matthew chapter 23? I always marvel when people and pastors kind of act like, we're just gonna be like Jesus and only talk about things of love and kindness and grace, which is wonderful. I love talking about those things. But that's not all that Jesus talked about. Uh, in fact, if you do a careful reading of the Bible, Jesus was constantly hammering people more brutally than I can even imagine. Uh, even I might get in trouble talking like Jesus did. What would you think if I was preaching this verse uh, this, you know, tomorrow morning, Sunday morning? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. The love of Jesus, right there. <laughs> I mean, is that, see, the reason I'm pointing this out is these guys that have the narrative only talk love, you know, and, and, and you have to understand, Brett, the Bible says they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And there's this, this narrative, well-meaning guys too. I know, I know guys, pastors that are well-meaning saying, if it's not love, you're not in line with Christ. And I would agree with that. But what does love look like? Sometimes love looks kind of brutal. Um, Jesus is saying this statement in Matthew 23, 15, out of love. We know that because God is love, Jesus is God. Are you guys following me? the logic here? This is kind of important. So while God is love, Jesus is love. He embodied love, but the embodiment of love also includes telling it like it is. That's a loving thing to do. It's unloving to not tell it like it is and not to watch and warn and correct things that are misguided and hurtful to others. That's not loving. You would not be a loving father of your children if you didn't discipline. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, corrects. That's what the Bible says. So love often includes correction, and sometimes that correction can even be a little bit fiery. Just speaking of, you know, he's saying these proselytes of these Pharisees were like as much of a child of hell as themselves. That's pretty strong language. Um, uh, you know, another time... Um, you know, we saw this, um, uh, the idea, the same idea, 
Jesus got angry. Were you with us on Wednesday night at our Wednesday night Bible study just last week? It, it says it quite literally. In, and we read this in Mark chapter three. It says, and when Jesus had looked around about them with anger, how did he look around about them? What did his angry eyes look like? When Jesus looking around, he's, he's, he has a look of anger. Um, and it says, being, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as the other. Remember this is the man with the withered hand at Capernaum? And remember the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were all there just to see if Jesus was gonna heal a guy on the Sabbath. They could care less about the dude with the withered hand and they cared about trapping Jesus. Um, and they were just there to you know, be a problem, to be critical, to be cynical. And Jesus looks at them with anger. Now, remember I told you godly anger, like Jesus's anger, is always accompanied with compassion. We see that perfectly demonstrated right here. He, he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved. So isn't it interesting? I, I think a healthy anger also has a component of being grieved or compassionate. Um, the, the, the man version of anger often doesn't have compassion and it also doesn't have the grieved part. Um, that's, that's one of the signs of the wrong kind of misguided anger. So many times, you know, we always tend to think of anger as a selfish, destructive emotion. And there would be, there would be people and pastors and women who would tell us as men, uh, anger is never right. Anger is sin. Well, the problem is you, we can prove that's wrong right here with this verse because Jesus looked at them with anger um, and anger was a part of what Jesus did. Uh, we're gonna delineate it though. It's called righteous anger versus manly or uh, man anger. I'll show you where I get the man anger. It's not just talking about angry men. I'm, it's actually kind of a scriptural idea. I'll show you that in a second. But um, you know, the fact that Jesus did sometimes become angry indicates that anger itself is an, is an emotion that actually can be good and even loving. Anger, anger can be loving. Um, and Jesus displayed a righteous anger. You see, I was just talking to one of the school board members just before breakfast here uh, from Newburgh, um, which uh, those guys, we should be praying for those brothers over there in Newburgh. I don't know why Newburgh became the epicenter of weirdness and wokeness uh, in the school district, but praise the Lord, there's men who've stood up and said, we're not gonna let that happen. Like when you start seeing these, you know, drag queen shows and, you know, Newburgh schools doing all kinds of gross the sexualization of children and stuff like that, the curriculum that they're trying to bring in, um, where are the good angry men who are saying, not on my watch? Um, and, and there's so many passive men where, you know, because when I go through Newburgh, I don't get a sense that I'm driving through Berkeley. When I go through Newburgh, it reminds me a little more of my town growing up, Grants Pass, where they say stuff like, tell you what. Like, it's not, it's not the epicenter of wokeness, if you know what I'm saying. Um, that's, that's where I grew up, and I kind of get that vibe from, and, and, and I, I have a hunch that there's a lot of men in Newburgh that disagree with where the school district's going, but, but where, where are all the men? Praise the Lord, there's a few faithful guys in our church even um, we even, I, just, I even saw our name, uh, church name mentioned in the school district. There was some thread on something, Facebook or something, saying, you know, they, they've got that term allies. And um, 
And somebody on some thread said, you know, these guys, some of these guys go to this church, Athey Creek, and somebody said, well, we need to go talk to that church because these men are, you know, bad guys because they're, they're anti-LGBTQ, or whatever they were saying. It was this rhetoric, you know? And one of the person said, well, you definitely don't go to Athey Creek. They're not an ally. And I thought, oh, that's so good. I'm so glad that they don't consider us an ally. Man. <laughs> But what's so sad to me, and this makes me angry, but also sad, that there are churches that are allies. There are churches that once were not allies, but they are now because of pastors caving to LGBTQIA+. Uh, man, uh, you know, it's so sad. None of these pastors, I'm not sure any of these pastors have really looked into those, the acronym. Because if you know what the plus stands for, it's pretty much anything goes. When did pastors start saying sexually, anything goes? It's, it's woke pastors that are unwilling to stand by the word. And somewhere men became so passive that, that our whole nation, under a bunch of passive men, we've allowed, in, in our lifetime, it's, it's brothers, if you're my age um, or even older, I, I'm, I'm a little ashamed that on our watch, our nation has so quickly flipped around. And men have passively stood by, oh, well, that's too bad. There's so many people in the school district and the teachers association and it's unfortunate that they're installing uh, tampon boxes in all of our grade school kids' bathrooms. Did you know that, brothers? That all the elementary schools now in Oregon, uh, from what I understand, uh, they all have tampon boxes in the boys' grade school bathrooms now. And that happened on our watch. Should we be angry? Um, would Jesus be angry? Here's a question for you. Would Jesus be angry with the treating of children badly? Uh, what about offending? What did Jesus say about offending a little child? Which, by the way, if you're telling a little boy he's actually a little girl, that's a huge offense. Huge. Or vice versa. It's a huge offense. And, and managers pass, oh, what a shame, the school district's, oh, tisk tisk, And we've lost this righteous anger that I think we've left by the wayside and sadly, churches have become soft, pastors have become soft. Sometimes I, I wonder which came first, the cart or the horse? Did soft men start leading churches and it, and it created soft men? Or did soft men start leading churches and then the, the men that are real men just stopped going to church? I think that's happened. But even still, those real men that stopped going to church, they stopped saying anything. They're just sitting around watching sports, but they're not really willing to, to be ye angry and sin not. To have this righteous anger, oh my. Um, I think there's so many things we could talk about that we've watched in our culture that we, out of compassion for the unborn child, out of compassion for the transgender person, out of compassion for them, to say, you were born, God made you to be a woman or to be a, a, a man or a boy or a girl. That's the way God made you. And to tell, to tell you that you are not really a girl, even as God created you or a boy, and then say, we're gonna surgically remove parts of your body and give you medicines. That's the most hateful thing you could ever do to a person. Hateful. And where are the men that would stand up and say, that's sinful and it's wrong, and the tables need to be turned? Righteous anger. I think this is an important thing, and the question you might have to ask yourself 
This is the one I you know, want you to have this summer is maybe you need to rethink your, what, what's your role in all this? Oh, I don't have a role in it. That's the problem. Can you imagine if these 2,000 guys that are here and downstairs packing this place out, if all of us said, we are not, when people at work say stuff about transgenderism, I'm not gonna just stand by and kind of go, hmm, not gonna say anything, don't wanna make any waves. But what would happen if we chose to say, you know what, we're gonna speak the truth. We're gonna do it in love. And by the way, the truth is not that we hate transgender people or homosexuals. It's quite the opposite. The Christian church, we have more care and compassion for people by far than any of these pro-activists, LGBTQI groups. In fact, we have people here at Athey Creek, former homosexual people that I know here at Athey who lived the gay lifestyle, radically lived the great gay lifestyle. And then the moment they accepted Christ and said, I'm not gonna live that lifestyle, the gay community, I have friends that say that they were never treated more horribly and hateful than when they walked out of the gay community. Never did they see more hate than when they walked out of the gay community. They were hated and despised. And that happens over and over again. That story's old. Jesus was angry. What was Jesus's righteous anger? Because I think this is something we have to be careful about. Because it's easy to let righteous anger slip very quickly and if we're not careful into an unrighteous anger. And that's where we have to be really careful. Wouldn't you agree? Brothers, if you're an angry man and you're abusive, um, maybe you should sit on the bench on this one. Like maybe if you've got a problem with anger, maybe you should sit on the bench on this one. Maybe this, that's not your calling. I, I think I'm talking to more than just the super nice guy. Just the nice men that are going around being nice all the time and, and, uh, and, and maybe you've just kind of been nice even just kind of winking at all the things that are going on around us. Have we really represented what Jesus, if Jesus would have been angry about something, shouldn't we? Do you think Jesus would have been angry about abortion? Well, we know what God, which Jesus is God, we know what God thought about killing, killing babies in the Old Testament. Abortion and Moloch worship is really the same thing. Um, in fact, Moloch worship might be a little more merciful than abortion uh, because they would put the babies on a sizzling red iron hot, this big Moloch god with this big, uh, they, they, it had a, a cavity in its back where you could stoke a really hot fire and then the, the, this big metal statue would get red hot even to, history tells us, incandescence so that the statue would be glowing with heat. And then they would take a baby and set it on the arms of Moloch and just watch it sizzle. And when God saw that, you know who did that was Sol Solomon. He, he actually was one who worshiped Moloch there in Jerusalem. Um, there were also uh, some of the worst kings of Israel took part in such horrible things. But when that happened, that would be the last straw and God would smash Israel by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians. God allowed the Jews to be totally destroyed and, and scattered all over the earth when they started engaging in this kind of paganism. It's really the same thing, abortion today. Oh no, bro, it's not. It's just child, you know, reproductive rights. Uh, no, uh, it's so amazing to me that people don't actually know what an abortion really is medically. Did any of you guys see that guy that spoke before the Senate? He was a doctor who performed thousands of abortions. And um, for, I forget the reason why, but for some reason he realized, I think there was one time he did one and he was just doing it routinely. And then he realized, 
what a horrible thing he was actually doing. It like occurred to him. So he brought all his instruments. Did you guys see this guy? He, he brought his instruments into the Senate and said, let me explain to you how, as an abortion doctor, how we do this. And he went through this graphic description and he showed the implements and you could hear gasps. People in the Senate were weeping as he told, just medical terms, being very clinical about it. He, he wasn't emotional. He said, when I performed all these abortions, here's what I did. I took these and we would chop this section and we'd pour out the sailing that would burn. And like he just, it was so graphic. It just like, it made you want to throw up. His point was to say, why doesn't anybody look at this and realize this is an abomination that we've allowed in our country and around the world? Would Jesus be angry? He's, he talked about this with children. If you offend one of these little ones, it'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and throw it into the sea. So this Jesus' righteous anger, there's, there's some components I wanna list for you to check yourselves and myself on this one that we learn from Jesus. First of all, Jesus' righteous anger, uh, you can jot these down if you want. Number one, he was always angry for the right reasons. That's an important thing. Jesus' anger didn't rise from petty arguments or personal slights against him. Uh, there was no you know, selfish motivation in his anger. That's an important part. If there's any component of selfishness or your own selfish reasons, that's not godly anger, that's sinful anger. Uh, it was Benjamin Franklin that said, anger is never without a reason, but seldom a good one. <laughs> anger is never without a reason, but seldom it, it, it's, it's with a good reason. That, that's true. And that's why righteous anger, I think, happens less often than unrighteous anger. But that's the first one. Jesus was always, when he was angry, he was angry for the right reasons. Number two, his anger was always pointed in the right direction. One of the mistakes we make as men is we're angry about this, and so we lash out at them. And we get the wrong, one of the wrong things we do is fight the wrong battles. Uh, I think that's always an important thing to remember. Um, you know, Jesus was not angry at God. Um, he was not angry at the weaknesses of others. Um, you know, the weaknesses, I mean, you know, their own flaws or mistakes that they made. Um, his anger was always targeted at sinful, purposeful injustice. You know, willingful, sinful attitudes um, of people that were ripping off and hurting others. Uh, his, uh, his, and, and by the way, as, as Christians, as Christian men, one of those main culprits, and this is why the Bible tells us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, demonic entities. And by the way, if there's a movement that is as demonic as I've ever seen, it's the transgender movement. Uh, there's such an obvious demonic element to the transgender movement. It's so, it's like it's hitting you in the face. And, and, and yet men are saying, well, if men wanna be, if they wanna do that, let them do what they wanna do. You know, um, I think there's so many people and we're wondering why 40% uh, suicide attempt rate in the transgender movement. Um, but we have to understand, it's not against the transgender people that our anger should be. It's against those who are promoting transgenderism and <clears throat> these people who are, you know, mutilating these children um, and the demonic powers that are behind them. That's, that's where our anger should be. Notice uh, number three on Jesus' righteous anger. <clears throat> His anger was always perfect in balance. Um, like where I showed you that uh, his anger was uh, uh, always attached 
to compassion and also even grief. Um, you know, uh, remember when I told you about uh, Mark chapter three, verse five, where he, he looked at them with anger, um, but he was moved with grief over what the Pharisees were doing <clears throat> to the people there. Um, number four on our list of things, his anger, um, he always demonstrated that he had control. This is a telltale sign that you're not having righteous anger when you're out of control. If you can't just stop at any given moment and turn and walk away, that's not godly anger, that, that's just sinful human anger. Um, where do we see that demonstrated, anybody? Where does Jesus show his control? The doves. Remember there in John 2.16, uh, he said to them, we read this just a few minutes ago, he said to them that sold the doves, all the other places and animals, he was driving away whoosh, and turning them and driving and all of, sudden, all of a sudden he came to the table of the doves. Why did he go to the table of doves? Did he just like doves? Maybe, um, but doves are a type of peace. They're a picture of the Holy Spirit. Uh, doves are um, known to be peaceful. And, and Jesus, like I think, I think maybe it's just there in that scripture just so we can know, wow, he was under control. A guy that's flying off with the handle He's gonna throw everything. If he's throwing everything, he's gonna throw everything. Jesus was angry, but he showed that he was under control. Um, a lot of times, guys that can't control their anger, um, you sh you're probably on the bench on some of the stuff I'm talking about. Uh, we need guys that have self-control, that can be righteously anger and stand up uh, against the wiles of the devil and what's going on. Billy Sunday, that preacher from, you know, few generations ago, a lady once came to Billy Sunday uh, after church and tried to rationalize that she, that, you know, because she was known in the church as having angry outbursts all the time. She just blew up all the time. And Billy Sunday, you know, she was arguing for that she was okay. She said, there's nothing wrong with me losing my temper. She said, I blow up and then it's all over. Um, and so, Billy Sunday said, so does a shotgun. It blows up and look at the damage it leaves behind. Um, and, and if you're that kind of a guy, if there's damage, collateral damage, and you're just blasting away, then that's probably a great sign that you are not having righteous anger. Jesus was very targeted in his anger, and he knew exactly who the object of his wrath should be. Um, that's an important component of this. Number uh, five, his anger lasted only for a short time. Um, uh, this is kind of an important one, by the way. Uh, he did not allow his anger to turn into bitterness. Unrighteous anger turns into bitterness. You know, when you're angry at your wife and you let that go for a long time, you won't be angry like fiery angry, but you'll be bitter. And then the root of bitterness starts to get into your heart. And that's the worst thing that can happen to a man, um, especially for a marriage. But Jesus didn't allow his anger to turn into bitterness. He didn't hold grudges. He dealt with each situation properly and handled it in all of his good timing. Um, uh, I think sometimes when we get angry, we have an improper focus of how long we should be angry and how that looks. And, and, um, and we fail sometimes to, to not let, you know, it says be angry, but don't let the sun go down in anger. That puts a time end. It's like today you can be angry, but tomorrow you actually shouldn't be. Um, that's a good sign that you're in godless human anger when it's just percolating and it turns into ugly bitterness. Watch out for that. Now, if you or I fail in one of these things listed here, that's not godly, righteous anger. 
Um, it's, it's, it's what I'm calling the wrath of man or the anger of man. Where do I get that? Well, it's James chapter one, verse 19. It says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let, um, it says, uh, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So interesting. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says be slow to anger. That's another good sign. If it's something that you've been praying about, working through and, and double checking, Lord, is my anger righteous anger or is it the wrath of man? Um, because the unrighteous wrath of man works not righteousness of God. In other words, as soon as your anger is moved out of the godly mode, you're gonna only cause destruction, the shotgun thing. Don't do that. But as long as you're slow to wrath and you've thought through it and prayed through it and had confirmation and through other brothers confirming. Um, but I'm saying we've sat around too long confirmed that there's all kinds of people being ripped off because of worldly godless views that are destroying children, hurting families and marriages and people. Um, and we just sit around and kind of, oh, that's what's happening, I guess. Um, Jesus did not exhibit man's anger or the wrath of man, but the righteous indignation of God. And I believe the Lord can and does do that through righteous men. This summer, I wonder if there's some praying that you need to do to say, Lord, maybe I'm a little too calm. Maybe I'm just sort of sitting by the wayside. And, and there are men that are not called to this kind of activity, but maybe I am, especially if you're a godly man who reads his Bible, has accountability, and, and maybe it's time to step up. I think that's something that we need to do. Um, you say, Brett, why are you arguing this morning for men to be angry? Uh, I think that's just men have been way too passive for way too long. Things that are important to God's word that are important today. Uh, the church men are way too soft on issues that Jesus had some seriously fiery words. Remember the thing about the children? Let's just look at that for a second. Listen to what Jesus said about offending children. Let's, let's, I wanted you to see this verse. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Um, Jesus has some heavy, heavy words about the world, woe unto the world. When Jesus is saying woe, that's not like a cool surfer way, whoa, dude, uh, that's not what he's saying. It means like woe, death and hell. That's the idea. Jesus is speaking fiery words here. Um, what was Jesus saying when he spoke to the seven churches? Remember, again, it's so ridiculous that people have painted Jesus as just this hippie that's all about peace and love and not, has no wrath. Um, read the seven church letters of Revelation chapter two and three. Let me just give you one example because this is exactly what's happening. Uh, the same thing that happened to the church of Thyatira is the same thing that's happening to the church today. Jesus, you know, gives them some compliments. Okay, Thyatira, you've done some good things here and there and a little bit there. But then Jesus says, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess to teach and to, check this word out, seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things, sacrificed to idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Now, before I keep reading, um, 
This word seduce, it means to have a fundamental departure from truth. People are seduced into leaving. It's just a fundamental departure from things that are true. Do you get a sense that our culture, especially in America, we're departing from truth? Anybody see Matt Walsh's What is a Woman? If you haven't seen that, you're, uh, it's shocking. Um, the whole gender studies groups in colleges and universities, and it's just, you know, it's basically, the, the thing that makes that so godless is it's basically trying to raise, when God says, male and female did he create them, but female and male did he, like over and over the Bible says God created them male and female. And the whole world's saying, no, he didn't. There's no such thing as male or female. And, and it, it's so ridiculous. If, if, if you didn't see the, the special, you'd be shocked. But that's what they're teaching our kids. No wonder our kids are coming out of school saying, I don't think I'm a boy or I don't think I'm a girl. Um, it's because of these crazy people who have seduced our children in colleges and universities, high schools, and even junior highs and elementary school to teach or to seduce my servants to commit fornication, sexual immorality. And you know, to eat things sacrificed to idols. Those idols were the equivalent of practicing sexual promiscuity. Um, and the Lord says, they've been seduced. And you've allowed a woman in the church to, now was there a little literal woman named Jezebel in the church of Thyatira? Probably not. Uh, not, but the Jews would have known there was a context here because if you remember Jezebel of old, she was quite the crazy uh, woman. Um, remember Jezebel killed poor Naboth for his vineyard just to give it to Ahab? I mean, I mean, she was this seductress, evil, wicked woman of the Old Testament. So I think when Jesus is saying this, he's using her as an idiom. But could it be, and, and, and this, is where, this is where Athe Greek gets into trouble all the time, um, they allowed this woman to teach and call herself a prophetess and the church allowed that to happen. Um, one of the reasons you don't see women pastors here at Athey Creek is because the Bible makes it really, really clear. God says, okay, I'm divvying out the responsibilities. Men, you're supposed to be the teachers. Guardians of doctrine. Men are supposed to do that. And, and it's funny because uh, so many churches now, good churches are now letting women be pastors that were once good churches. And I'm gonna say this, I think that's a massive mistake. You're going against what the Bible says. Oh, well, you know, I just, women, they're just as good as men. I think they're better than men. Well, that's not the argument then. Well, the argument is women should be able to do what men do. Well, that's a worldly notion. God says, I want women to do this and I want men to do that. And you either believe God or you don't. It's, it's called complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Complementarianism, that's us. We believe that men and women complement. We're not the same. But together, we make a really good team. Men and women complement one another. That's what marriage is. Um, marriage is a complement. You're the guy, and there's things you do in the marriage, and you're good at those things. Sensitivity's probably not one of them. You know, your kids need both. When your little boy at five-year-old falls and skins his knee, if it's just mom's reaction, oh, he's getting his knee, and oh, and here's some ointment, and put some ointment, and just, eh. um, and, and, and you know, guys, if you had just that, you're gonna grow up to be a total wimp. But oh, when you were five years old and mom was there, it was like, oh, mom, she loves me and cares about me, and that's wonderful. But you're the dad, you were there, oh, let him bleed. Walk it off, man. Come on. Don't be a wimp. 
Um, and that's a valuable thing to teach a young boy. You need both. You need the compassion and the sensitivity. You need the toughness and the logical. You need, like God just wired us differently. I'm telling you, people that say we're not different, you just haven't lived for very long or you're hiding your head in the sand. Men and women are different. God created us that way. And it's a beautiful compliment. But as soon as the church goes with this crazy world equality thing, where men and women can do exactly the same thing, we've ruined the whole thing. And, and, and man, I'm telling you, just study church history. Oftentimes where the church went off doctrinally, theologically, it was oftentimes linked to women who were teaching things wrongly in the church. Um, I'm just saying, people hate this. I, I get hit all the time for this. But, and it's funny, 20 years ago, most churches agreed. Yeah, men are supposed to do that and women are supposed to, there's beautiful, wonderful things women can do in the church too, um, but not teaching and leading the whole congregation. That's not what they're called to do. Um, we used to be one of many churches who believed that. Now, Eighth Greek's one of the few churches that are staying with that. Why are we staying with that? Because we believe the Bible. We're gonna stick with the, the Bible. Isn't it interesting, the church at Thyatira, they allowed this Jezebel woman to come in and teach, and the men, I bet the men of Thyatira were mamby-pamby men, just letting the woman teach, saying, oh, she's articulate and smart, so that must qualify her. Nope. Nope, there should have been men and Jesus calls them out. What else does he say here? So he says, they've, she has caused the church to be seduced, to commit fornication, sexual immorality. And I, I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. It goes on, behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. This is the peaceful, loving, gracious Jesus <laughs> saying this. I'm not, I'm not, God forbid, I'm not mocking the grace, kindness of Jesus. That's the major theme of Jesus. I'm talking about this, this is a pendulum swing, I'm telling you. Uh, next week I'll be talking about the grace and the kindness of Jesus, but people miss this. And because of that, our culture, our society is going down the tubes because men have forgotten who Jesus is. Revelation 2, um, you know, uh, 20, um, it says, but I have this against you that you tolerate. Do you see the word tolerate there? Uh, that's what the world crammed down our throats. Hey, tolerance. Are they saying that anymore? Nobody's saying tolerate anymore. They're saying do it or else. There's even violence that are being threatened now. It's no longer tolerance. It's violence against, it's transgression. That's what they're calling it, the transgression. They're doing this thing where transgender men, I'm, I'm calling them men because they're biological men, are saying, get your ARs, get ready, we're going to battle. That's what they're, that, there's a whole group out there that's transgressors saying, we're gonna make sure that people do this or else. Um, tolerance is funny because that's the beginning of the end once you start tolerating the woman Jezebel. Um, I finish with this final quote, H.W. Beecher um, he was known for his support of abolition of slavery um, and quite, quite influential in finally uh, getting that to take place. He uh, preached from 1813 all the way to when he died in 1887. Uh, but he said, a man that does not know how to be angry does not know how to be good. A man that does not know how to be shaken to his heart's core with indignation over things evil is either a fungus or a wicked man.
I have to agree with him. Um, this guy lived during a time where some Christians were standing by while sl slavery was, was being you know, engaged in our nation, one of the most horrible things. But I'm telling you, there's worse things happening today. And, and it's even on greater scale. Millions and millions of aborted babies. Children being traded in the sex traffic and men are standing idly by. Children being taught in schools without their parents' knowledge that don't, there's no real gender and you can be whatever you wanna be. Um, the slavery to sin is so ugly and sad and our kids are the victims, our families, our nation. I'm a little worried that the modern church has become full of wimpy spiritual men who are so afraid to be angry because we don't differentiate. We're, we're, we're just told, hey, you guys, men, white males, particularly if you're a white male, you sit down and shut up. Nobody should hear from you. You're the problem. I'm saying men of all colors, of all nation, creed, race, we should all be following Christ. And we should be standing up strong for the truth. And at times, I think some of us are called to, like what the Bible says, to be angry and sin not. What an interesting juxtaposition. Be angry, but don't sin. May the Lord cause you this summer to kind of rethink what you're doing and what part are you playing. I'm just telling you, um, I'm doing my part that the Lord's called me to do, and that is to teach the Bible, and, and it's, it's pretty easy for me uh, because I teach the Bible. Everybody expects me to be a jerk, um, and they know I'm gonna say things that are controversial. Um, so it's actually pretty easy for me. I'm just gonna admit that. I can get up here and say things boldly and I get letters and emails and hate stuff and death, death threats, but it's not, it's not that big a deal. But I, I, I understand in your situation, it might cost you more. Um, and maybe you're thinking, well, Brett, you do the job up there. We'll just keep tithing. And since we're tithing here at AC, you know, we'll be part of it. Well, that doesn't really count. I think the Lord has called all of you as men to be salt and light in this world. I can only talk to people that show up to church or might tune in online, but you guys are at jobs and places and you have kids that are in schools and neighbors that are talking about this stuff. And I think there needs to be a boldness and a righteous anger starting to be shown. And, and you're gonna get, if you do this, you're gonna have Christians. You're gonna have the church come against you. Oh, you're supposed to be about love. Love is love. And that's where a man needs to righteously say that is wrong. Because love is love is a mantra of the world. Um, and love is God. God is love. And whatever God's word says, that's what love really is. And if God's word says homosexuality is an abomination before the Lord, homosexuality is not love. Like you gotta speak it in love and truth. But a righteous anger, we need a little more of that. May the Lord give us all ears to hear in Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, as we uh, think about this passage, I know that this can fall on the ears wrongly. Um, I know, Lord, that there's some men that already have a bad disposition and they they're already angry in a godless sort of wrath of man kind of way. Um, I pray that you would calm those guys down, teach them how to love and be compassionate and kind. But for the guys, Lord, here that are just normal dudes who love you and are saved and are just trying to live life, 
Lord, would you, would you reveal to them their role? Um, Lord, how they can speak truth, even if it costs them, even if it hurts them. Um, we think of what could have gone wrong when Jesus turned those tables that day and ultimately it would sort of cost even him the cross. Um, but Lord, I pray that we would not be afraid or ashamed of our faith. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of the gospel. Help us not to be ashamed of the truth. And, and Lord, I pray that we, as just good men who love you, we wouldn't idly stand by and let things just keep going the way they are. Lord, if this nation's headed for disaster and you have sovereignly um, decided that about America, we understand. It makes sense. But at the same time, Lord, if you would wanna do another revival in this country and maybe a, a last revival and, and a, a new enlightenment where people are once again brought to truth, we'd love to be a part of that, Lord. But give us wisdom, show us how to engage the world in these topics to be not afraid to speak the truth powerfully. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, to have discernment. Show us where we've crossed the line from the righteous anger to the wrath of man. Correct us in that, Lord, but I pray, I pray for boldness upon my brothers. So as we go our way, may we meditate on these things. Give us wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.